Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Jordan Harper. A little over a year ago, I picked up Jordan's novel, She Rides Shotgun, and basically didn't put it down until the next day when I finished it. Paper Moon meets Sons of Anarchy, with terse, lean, visceral, muscular prose that puts you right into the frame of mind of his characters. She Rides Shotgun garnered Jordan the prestigious Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American Author. A Missouri native, who also worked as an ad man and rock critic, Jordan is a talented screenwriter as well. He wrote and produced shows like The Mentalist and Gotham, and also adapted his literary hero James Elroy's masterful novel L.A. Confidential for CBS. Despite an impressive, addicting pilot, the network passed, but you can read more about the series and Jordan's hopes for it in a great article I've linked to in this post. Additionally, he's written a book of hard-boiled, short noir fiction, Love and Other Wounds, that was first published as American Death Songs. I started following Jordan on Twitter after I read his work and we became e-pals when we were both separately invited onto Blake Howard's brilliant Michael Mann Obsessives Only podcast, One Heat Minute, and I'm thrilled to invite him on a watch with Jen. One of my favorite things about Jordan is that yes, he can be a hard ass, but he's also known to watch the piano on occasion and drop Fiona Apple lyrics into everyday conversation. Currently living in LA with his girlfriend Megan and one of the cutest dogs on planet Earth, Elroy, of course, I couldn't wait to bring him on to share his cool, unique taste with us all. So welcome, Jordan, to Watch with Jen. How's it going? How are you in quarantine life? Um, you know, uh, I don't think I'm probably the first person to make the Bane joke of, uh, having been born into this while other people are just adapting it. But like, we, we kind of discussed a little off air, like I was born for, I've watched, I watched so many movies now. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> and I mean, I watched a lot before and I'm trying to read and I bought a PlayStation before all this started, which was a really good call. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I'm kind of enjoying it a little bit. I am too. I finally found, I don't have a video game system. Like the last one I have is a Nintendo DS, those little handheld guys. And I found it the other day. I was so excited. It was like finding gold. Uh So yeah, I'm really excited to start doing that. Well, it's, it's good for when you need to be slightly more active than watching a movie. Yep. Um, But I mean, obviously just like, like we're all so lucky, those of us who have the opportunity to be bored during all of this, because there are so many people (laughs) who who, like are having really hard times. But like, you know, as a writer, we get to just keep writing and Mm -hmm. just keep being alone. So so I, I feel like one of the absolute luckiest people right now. Absolutely. I would have to ask, what are you working on now? The new novel script? I know we talked off air, but what what are yeah, you up to? You know, I, I, I'm always loath to give too many details in, in, in public about myself. I have a, a new novel called Hollywood Sickos um, that I'll just say the title of. Um, <laughs> and I'll say just appropriate for the title. I started writing it in January in a uh, one of the cabins at the Chateau Marmont. Um and I, I, the first page of the book is written on Chateau Marmont stationery. Um, and I, I, I'm not a big believer in magic or anything like that, but I 
I feel very strongly that this was the right vibe to start writing this novel was on Chateau Marmont stationery in one of those uh, cabins that uh, Errol Flynn used to use. I mean, and when I say use, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I have a, a couple of pilots um, that I'm shopping around right now, and uh, I'm not on a staff or anything like that. I'm just uh, kind of uh, living that freelance life, and it's not so bad. No, well, that's great to hear. I'm excited for it. Do you have a set schedule for writing where you block off, like, part of the day or just go by feel? I find that if I don't get a lot done by lunch, I don't get a lot done. Um, yeah. So I, I try and, you know, if I can get two solid hour, hours of, by the way, if I get two solid hours of writing and then maybe an hour in the afternoon of rewriting, I, I call that a day. I, yeah. unless I'm finishing something, when I'm finishing a project, I will, I can write for a lot longer. But when I'm just actually drafting, I, that's me. I, I do two to three hours a day. I, I don't dig the grind mentality that tries to tell you you mm -hmm. have to work eight hours a day or you're not being productive. That is a capitalist lie foisted on us by blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. no, so uh, yeah, I try and, you know, in the morning, like get up, have breakfast. Now that the world is just absolute garbage, I try really hard. I try not to look at Twitter until mm -hmm. lunchtime um, so that I don't have that in my head when I start working. Yeah, it's too distracting. I'm trying to spend less time on that and less time watching the news as well because it's just a horror show. But yes. you said rewriting. So you write in the morning and then you rewrite that work later in the day or? No, I like, so right now I'm I'm drafting a novel. So I'm, I work on the novel for two hours in, in the morning and then in the afternoon, one of the two pilots I'm working on, I'm actively rewriting it. So oh, gotcha. So that like those are different muscles. And mm -hmm. I, I, some people do that. Some people write in the, the morning and then correct that stuff in the afternoon. But I like to, I'm a real vomit draft writer. I mean, my rough drafts mm -hmm. are rough. Um, <laughs> and I need some space and time to kind of, I'm, I'm very slow. I've come to realize that about myself. Um, and it's, I, I'm old enough now where I know it's not ever going to change. That's okay. Whatever you're doing, keep it up because you're awesome. So oh, thank you so much. Yeah, love to, love to hear it. So have you been binge watching anything good lately? Um, you know, it's a, so binge watching would be like for television. Um, my girlfriend, Megan, who's also a TV writer, and, and mm -hmm. I have been rewatching Veronica Mars. Love um, it. It's such a good TV show. Yeah. And, you know, there's this attitude that people have in modern day TV. And I'm sure you like on Twitter, I'm very vocal about the fact that I think the concept of prestige television is is toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just, um, it's a set of tropes. It, it, there's no relationship between the concept of prestige and actual good television. Um, that prestige is just a series of tropes. It's a, it's a certain kind of lighting, a certain kind of music. It's that green tint that everything has right now. Um, I hate that. I do too. I don't understand why the, the modern style of cinematography leans towards ugliness so much. Um, I know. Not, not I, all of it, but like no. a lot of it. I miss color. Like, I mean, you yeah. don't have to go full melodrama Douglas Sirk for anything, but I do miss the use of color. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in, in, in my genre specifically of crime, and we'll, we'll talk about some of this in more depth in a minute, but like, that's what I like about the Safdie brothers so much. It's what I like about Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, they, they are not afraid of color. They don't think that no. crime 
has to be murky and, and drab and dull. And, um, and I really, I really appreciate that. Um, the other thing that I'm watching on TV and, and I think people think I'm joking when I say this is, um, the challenge MTV's the challenge, which I don't know is, it. well, the 35th season of it started this week. Um, okay, so I'm way past. They do yeah. two seasons a year, but they really have been doing it for like 15 years at this point, over 15 years. Wow. And it, it's just one of those competition reality shows. Um, but the two things that make it great are, one, it's sort of every competition reality show in the world put together. So okay. it's a bunch of attractive people who live together Good. Um, and drink a lot and hook up. Um, and then there is a like a physical competition element where they have to like do all these crazy stunts that always have some air of danger, you know, hanging off of buildings or like being dragged by trucks or, or things like that. <laughs> um, and then there's also a uh, a survivor like political aspect to it, which gives it a very Game of Thronesy kind of feel. A lot of plotting and like because you, you vote people into these challenges. Um, okay. And then the other aspect of it that makes it so great is that they've done 35 seasons of it. Some of the competitors are, have been doing the show for like 12 or 13 years, and they've been doing it together. So you have these storylines that have now been building like general hospital level intricate. Wow. You know, okay. like, oh, my God, they used to date. but That was like 10 years ago. And now they hate Drama. each other. <laughs> Drama. And I mean, uh, there is it's it's been over for a few years now, but there was a, a love story that ran the course of probably eight years on the show between this guy CT and this woman DM where he was like in his early days. Cause he's like, I said, he's been doing this for like 15 years. Um, he was like this incredibly handsome Boston roughneck who was very cruel and, and like was a very violent guy in his youth. Um, and DM was this uh, woman who was like an athlete and very strong, but had just had ovarian cancer the first time these two people met and she was wearing a wig and, and so the first time they had to do a challenge this season where she has to take her wig off. It's like this big moment of like, she's like very nervous and uncomfortable. And then they cut to this guy, CT, this like guy going, and then she took her wig off and she looked like GI Jane. And I just fell in love. And I love that. And this, I'm going to break your heart here. They, they fall in love. They, they date for seasons, they break up, they fight with each other, and then her cancer comes back. And oh. he, this is all true, and it's all played out over, like, literally years. She, like, there's a, there's a season where she, she comes to compete, and she thinks she's okay, and she gets sick during the season and has to leave. And he, even though they're not dating anymore, the moment she leaves, he leaves. He, like, goes and follows her. Now, that's a man. I love yes. that. Yeah, and and he is with her. Uh, this is sad when she died. Oh and, shit! And then he came back. This like violent, brutal. It's that storyline we're not supposed to do anymore. Of like mm-hmm. the, the terrible man who's changed by the death of a woman. Um, but that's just what happened. And yeah. it's just very. Be- and he's now he's kind of like this elder statesman of the show. He's like very beefy with a, like a dad bod. While there are all these other younger because I keep bringing it. the challenge is a great show. But you have to watch it in like huge gulps to really understand why. That was a okay. very long uh, aside about the challenge right there. MTV is going to hire you like in a minute now. But I, uh, what is? I, yeah. yeah. No, no, go, go for it. Oh, no. Oh, it's, I, I, I really mean it when I say it's one of the best shows on TV. Okay. I'm going to check it. it out now. 
Yeah, that's that's some good praise from Jordan. Um, what is the streaming channel you hit first when you're just looking for movie escapism? Um, you know, it, I guess if I'm just looking for pure escapism, I would have two. Um, one is Showtime, which I don't know if like every programming executive at Showtime is like my age, mm-hmm. but like they seem to really serve up a lot of stuff that is just targeted, and they're they're also like sort of the the dude cable channel in a lot of ways they kind of are yeah you know with their ray donovans and, and things like that um i like that show yeah i you know um they but they so they tend to have like a lot of like movies like rounders um which love it love rounders um they just yes. actually took it off the service last month it's on netflix well there you go that's probably yeah. why bouncing around <laughs> um, that is a, an incredibly easy movie to rewatch is what I found. Um, yep. and, and just the joy it takes in um, the the lingo, I think, is really my favorite thing. Um, it really is. It is a portrait of toxic masculinity. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it literally... 100% my thing, but oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a story about a guy who would really like to just be really good at playing cards, but he can't because he has a nagging girlfriend. And... Uh, that chick. No. <laughs> that chick. And then who Come just on. wants him to be a lawyer. And then at the end of the movie, it's literally they break up and it's good. They break up. And then he goes and he's a he's a poker guy. Um, yeah. Um, and the only other woman in it, and I can't remember the actress who plays her, is the like the poker dealer who is presented as basically she's like beautiful. And every scene she's in, all she does is throw herself nearly physically at Matt Damon, who's just kind of like, hey, I don't think so. Thanks a lot. Um, I know. So not what a is great she doing? Portrait. Edward Norton is right there. That would have been me. So. <laughs> That's no. a, a, a peek into to Jen's psyche right there. I like that. Yes. Well, in um, high school, actually, I had the biggest crush on Edward Norton. And when I used to get hit on by guys I wasn't into, I'd you know, make up the fake boyfriend. And I would just describe Edward Norton, and it <laughs> worked every time. So eh. Ed and I have a history, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. It's not Um, the challenge level, but it's something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, know, by now, if you've been telling the same story about the same fake boyfriend, it would be challenge level. You can invent, feel free to take the time he came to visit you, even though you'd broken up, he came to the hospital. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) I usually do that on airplanes because I get usually stuck by like nice but little old ladies that want to know my whole story and it gets much so I will vary it a little so sometimes he's an architect other times he's an actor I just lots of A's I guess no I just sure. make up things yeah <laughs> you start Why not? the phone book and start yes lying. I know <laughs> so do you have any recommendations for us on things to watch I know I've probably seen one percent of the titles so I'm really stoked because you have very cool taste Right. Well, you know, when, when we talked about doing this and, and the idea of streaming services, the, uh, the other streaming service I really want to talk about is, is Shudder. And I feel very strongly um, Shudder is one of the best streaming services. It's very well curated. It's obviously, if you don't know, it's, it's a horror streaming service that focuses on horror. Um, and I, I do watch not a lot of horror, but I'm happy to have it for the horror alone. But if you don't really go down deep, dig diving you might not notice they actually have a really interesting crime section and uh as as you made clear in your introduction i am a crime guy that is like what i'm into yes Mm -hmm. um 
And what they seem to have mostly in the crime section are really interesting um, series of foreign crime films. Um, I'm really glad because I had a, I had a list that we were going to talk about, and I'm glad I checked right before we talked because it's what April second now uh, or third. Um, so the movies have just all turned over, and okay. so there were several series that I was going to bring up that I that I can't bring up any longer because um, they don't have oh, them anymore. No. That's okay because I still have stuff to talk about. Um, they did have um, t- is it Tales Against Without Honor or Humanity or Stories Without Honor and Humanity, the Yakuza stories, um, okay. which is a series of five uh, Japanese crime movies that are all set in like kind of post World War II uh, Tokyo. And they're just very classic, cool mob stories with double crossing and dirty cops. And, you know, um, everybody looks fantastic because it's like that post-war sort of yeah. L.A. confidential, but more hipster in, in Tokyo. So it's really hip. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's uh, pointless now because it's not available. Um, oh, no. I was going to say sign me up. But I actually did just join Shudder um, mainly to check out the Pusher trilogy, which... I had not seen. I watched the first Pusher. Yeah. Because I was talking to you and it was great. Oh my God, the actor, the lead. He's fantastic. Amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, so yeah, good. That, yes, the Pusher trilogy is um, Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, I'm not telling you, I'm telling them. Um, <laughs> You're fine. Uh, Pusher was his first film. Uh, that It was Nicholas Winding Refn's very first movie. And then Pusher 2 and 3, I think he there was like a 10 year gap between Pusher 1 and Pusher 2. Okay. Uh, I, I could be wrong about this. I believe Pusher 1 is also Mads Mikkelsen's first movie. It is, yes. Okay. And I love uh, him. Yeah. He doesn't get a lot to do in, in Pusher no, 1. No, not really. Yeah, I was so used to seeing him in the Dogma films, uh, mm-hmm. Suzanne Beer's movies, Open Hearts, um, After the Wedding, Brothers. Have you seen Brothers? I've never seen Brothers. You would love it. It's another one of those toxic masculinity brotherhood type things where a brother returns from war and he's all fucked up. And then the other guy is like kind of a low level, gets in trouble with the cops a lot. And it's a melodrama, but it's so good. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Okay, brothers. I'll check that one out. Um, Well, I want to because I've seen Pusher so many times and I want to hear what your first impressions were. Okay, the first 15 minutes, I was like, what the hell am I watching? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just kind of wandered around, and I was not into it. And then all of a sudden, it sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I, I also kind of admired the fact that he really wanted to put you in the mindset. So there's not, the lighting isn't the greatest. They're so dimly lit, you can like mm-hmm. barely see them sometimes. So, yeah, it was really interesting. And then by the time there's why he gets busted and things happen, I got really into it. Yeah, I, I want to see the second one for sure. It's really, it, it's really, it is shitbag noir, which is, uh, we say that, right? Um, you bet. You can say okay. anything. <laughs> cool. Um, which is, you know, it's truly about amoral people. This is not a moralistic tale in the least. Um, nobody is particularly sympathetic other than his like absolutely, um, you know, bullied and abused girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does just get by on that pure idea of, of storytelling is you meet somebody, they have a problem and you want to watch them solve it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's yeah. basically, and you, you're saying that's when you got sucked in because the first you 15 bet. minutes, 
it's a couple of guys they're telling really not very funny dirty jokes to each other yeah um he's shitty to his girlfriend yeah and then and then he uh, not to tell the whole story but what he you know he gets busted in a way that lets him escape prosecution because he dumps all the drugs in a river but now he owes money for the drugs and that's the whole setup for the entire film and that is such a pure clean setup um Mm -hmm. just from a storytelling standpoint it's just drug dealers got to go make more money in a night or two nights i guess it's a week um than he's ever made in a week before and it's so pure and it's so unlike in a lot of ways what we think of as nicholas whining referent today okay yeah, it's a good intro for him. I actually had a weird theory, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, about his lack of, I should say, his lack of sex with the girlfriend. I mm. kind of was thinking he was almost more into Mads Mikkelsen. That's an I, interesting, yeah. Yeah, the stories, they're kind of like trying to impress each other, but they're only happy when they're together. And yeah, it was interesting, I thought. There might be something going on. I don't know. And I just did double check. Mads is not in Brothers, but you'll still love it. Okay, fair enough. Yes, it is Suzanne Beer, but no, just had to double check. Sorry. No, that's okay. I'll check it out. Um, Well, if you haven't seen the other two, well, you'll be happy to know that Mads Mikkelsen is the star of the second one. Yay! Um, And he really is, he continues to play uh, Tony, uh, which is a very pathetic character. Yes. and there, there's, I, your your theory gets a little bit of backing in it. I would say, um, not not explicitly, but I, I think you would be able to continue your argument that there is some closeting going on. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is uh, the one person who appears in all three movies is the evil drug dealer, um, the, like the balding older guy, and he Ooh, is actually yeah. the hero of the third film or protagonist anyway. Um, wow. Yeah, they're really, they're, they're great movies. And I love that, you know, everything I love about modern Nicholas Winding Refn, like his color and his controlled cinematography, all that's gone. And instead he just gets by on like attitude and, and having a really strong story. And I agree, I don't know that actor's name and I don't really know what else he's done, but the lead of Pusher uh, is, he's fantastic. Phenomenal, yes. Um, well, go for it. Um, the other series that they have that's still available on Shutter in their crime section that I really highly recommend, although I will preface this by saying this is not going to be for everybody, is okay. Female Female Prisoner Number 701 Scorpion, um, which is a series of four or five Japanese women in prison films. Okay. Um, and so, look, everything that might make you not want to watch a women in prison film is there. It's, you know, it's it objectifies all the women. There is a lot of lesbian sex, like all women in prison movies, they're, they're sexual assault. And, and if people find yeah. that troublesome, cool. Steer clear. It. Yeah. Steer clear. <laughs> um, but I will say, unlike any other uh, women in prison or any prison movie I've ever seen, female prisoner number 701 Scorpion, um, they are visually inventive. That's uh, They were made in the early 70s. They use a lot of very odd camera angles, a lot of very odd narrative techniques, a lot of very cool lighting, um, a lot of uh, like, you know, shots where a woman gets thrown on the floor, but then they shoot it through up through a glass panel. Um, ah, you know, a lot of point of view, messing with point of view again, like a lot of very strange and very artistic uh, lighting choices and things like that. So 
you know, if you think you can stomach it, um, definitely watch the first one. Again, like I said, I get it. Like, it, they're definitely not for everybody, and I, I wouldn't blame mm-hmm. anybody. Um, yeah. And uh, another movie, and this is, again, not going to be for everyone, that I just found, I think just came up on Shudder when I was looking before this, is Deadbeat at Dawn. Um, okay. Deadbeat at Dawn. I like the title. Sure. It sounds it was, like an old paperback you would have, like one of those trashy dimes that you kind of hide. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's, go ahead. Pretty, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, okay. It was made by a, a guy named Jim Van Beber in, in 1983, I think, or 88. Um, and it is about gang wars in Dayton, Ohio, um, okay. which it's really one of the fantastic. This movie was made for, I, I think it was $30,000. Um, wow. Jim Van Beber directed, wrote, starred and did all his own stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it is just, it is, it's garbage, it's trash, but <laughs> it like is. Like Totino's. No, yes, we were talking it, about pizza earlier. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but no, that's, that's what I love. I, uh, I, I love the concept of beautiful trash, um, mm-hmm. and, which is the name of a short story that I wrote. Um, it's the a name great of. great short story. Do, do check it out. It's in love and other wounds. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. It's also was uh, beautiful trash was the name of one of my loan out corporations that I have for like my Hollywood business. Um, okay. And it's, it's an aesthetic that I, I like really strive for, which is to make things that are, are sleazy and fun and entertaining and are also strive for art. Now, yeah, I, I would say that deadbeat at dawn probably falls a little closer to just trash than art trash, but it's so fiercely independent. It's such a crazy film. I mean, there are shots where, like, Jim Van Beber is, um, you know, hanging from a car or, you know, lowering himself from a roof, like, three stories up. And you're like, wow. this is only okay because he's the director. Um, yep. You know, like, if a director made another person do this, it would be bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> Try getting insurance for that, but <laughs> indeed. And I think Jim Van Beber, he's been around for a long time. I think he's really only made three feature films. Um, this was the first one. I think he's in his like early twenties when he made this one. Um, the second one he made, which is one of my favorite cult films, and how I found out about Jim Van Beber is a two thousand and three movie called The Manson Family. That is okay. a sympathetic portrait of the Manson family, um, Ooh. and really i mean not overly sympathetic but okay. like a, a um i mean well i guess you could argue the point um but a it is a it is an underground look at the manson family and again it's probably not for everybody um it's uh he made it again on a shoestring budget i think over the course of six years because he could only shoot when he could afford to um he doesn't play manson he plays um bobby Beausoleil, who is another one of the members of manson's family um and it is, I mean, it is, the, the final scenes are horrific. It is um, definitely a, a lot of nudity and drug use. And um, it's a very strange, odd film. But again, it's so single and it's, it's independence and it's desire to just be exactly what it is and not please anybody else. I tend to find those kind of things very pleasing. Uh, so I, I do recommend checking out Jim Van Bever. Okay. Well, from heat action figures to Michael Mann-inspired artwork classic genre paperbacks and finds that amoeba music jordan is a bonafide pop culture collector and an la cool shit super sleuth 
what are some of your stars of your collection and is there anything you're still like trying to get um okay great question um i recently acquired an uncut gems t-shirt that i'm extremely proud of um all right you need one of those you do. Um, yeah. A24 only put them out on their website. It was like a, a little flash sale. And it, it's a great, it looks like a, a movie poster from the 80s, the kind, like early 80s, when it would have like, or, or late 70s, where like a lot of type at the bottom of the screen, just a black and white portrait of um, of um, Adam Sandler. Uh, I like that. I got that recently. Um well, actually, this is a thing that I really like. I don't know if you can recognize that. That is a framed picture that is exactly like the picture that is over Laura Palmer's bed in Firewalk With Me. I was going to say it looked familiar, but I couldn't place it right away. Okay, but cool. There's two versions of the picture. There's the version without the woman standing in the window or in the doorway. And then there's this one. This is like after she's kind of crossed the threshold and yeah. it's like doomed that that this woman appears so i really i can't even remember where i got that but um very cool yeah um so i you know i'm, I'm trying to buy less i do need to refurbish my i showed you my robert de niro action figures in a bad way um i need a new robert what are you doing figure. to my guy <laughs> um i really would love to those are the only two i've ever found i don't think anybody bothers with like tom sizemore's character um which I would love to own. I would love yeah. to own a Wayne Crow. Um, you know, anything that was actually from the film Heat, there was a mm-hmm. there was a time, like probably a decade ago, where I found Al Pacino's gun from Heat um, on for sale online, um, mm-hmm. like in a framed box, and I just it was it was pretty expensive, and I couldn't afford it at the time, and I I really regret letting that one go away, get away. Okay, um, the one that got away. Yeah. <laughs> if you have it, Jordan's interested. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you have it, I would prefer, I'm sure you would, uh, De Niro's gun from... Oh, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> by the way, just I, I probably talk about this, uh, I know I talk about it on, on Blake's website, but I always, if you're into heat, as you are, uh, if yeah. you've never been to the Internet Movie Gun Database... Oh, you did talk about that. I remember that episode. Yeah, that was fascinating. It, it's just such a great, it's so detailed, the amount of information about the guns. It really makes clear how nerdy Michael Mann is. Yeah, um, he wants to get everything right. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah I th- I'm trying to think of anything else that I've really, like, scored recently. Um, you know, I, I it's, it's not really a collectible thing. I did buy an international Blu-ray player. Um, I want one of those. Did you find a good one? I did. I off air. I'll send you. There's a place in sure. Illinois that that does it, and uh, I, uh, you know, it's just there's still some things, it, and nobody talks about this. Like there's some things that we can't get anymore, and I find I that we spent obviously like the whole point of, of of this is that there's so much good stuff on streaming, um, but if you actually but. want to just yes, but. Um, <laughs> I uh, and I one of the reasons I got it was, and I think this has been. I still can't find it anywhere else. I wanted a Blu-ray of State of Grace. Have you ever seen State of Grace? I just bought the DVD used from Half Price Books. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll be curious what I'm, you think. Oh, I love it. Um, I've seen it before, but oh, it's okay. been a long time. But it's going to be in my book. So anyway, go ahead. Oh, cool. No, no. I mean, that. I, <laughs> I uh, no, it's, it's just there's a, a very specific kind of 90s crime film that 
to me is my favorite genre. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't think I've ever said this out loud. I keep threatening to start a podcast of my own that would just focus only on 90s crime films. That um, would be the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, once I can, go, I, I once I can get it all set up, I would really like to do that. And uh, um, State of Grace is like kind of really hard. I mean, you had to buy a DVD at half yep. price book, and you were lucky to find it, by the way. I know. I couldn't believe it. I just grabbed it right away. And you know, there's several Lynch movies that don't have proper American Blu-ray releases. Yes, it sucks. Same with Robert Altman. Some of yeah. things you just can't find. Yeah. And, and I just, I go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say the other thing that I think people are missing is those great special features that we used to enjoy. People have no idea. And the nerdy director's commentary tracks. I mean, eat those up with a spoon. But yeah, I don't know. I miss all that stuff. I think people are missing out when they just watch a movie passively and don't think about everything involved. I agree with that. And I just also, I feel like I'm not a person who buys vinyl. I have kind of given up music um as like a thing i own but i yeah. i made a very strong decision like 2 years ago that that dvds and blu-rays were going to be my vinyl and mm-hmm. and i think there is a i think you consume stuff differently when you have it in a physical medium yes and and so i guess like just that in general um i'm a big proponent of like i love all these people who are like like vinegar syndrome you know mhm um, yeah, and Arrow Films, and they're all yeah. coming out with them. Yeah, like boutiques, basically. Exactly. Which yeah. is how, by the way, how I saw Deadbeat at Dawn the first time was I, I bought it off Arrow Video. And cool. uh, yeah, all those people who are digging up like stuff, and, and I love that Vinegar Syndrome finds these weird old movies from the 70s and then gives them 4K treatment and director's commentaries and like treat them like movies. I think it's great. Yeah treat them like it's their criterion and exactly. it is to the right fans. So I think they deserve a really good release of it. I mean, I, I was thinking the other day cause arrow video had a sale that if me personally, and I'm not, this is just me. If I had to choose only watching stuff that had been released on arrow video or only watching stuff that had been released on the criterion collection, I don't think that's an easy decision uh, or I probably it's would tough. Yeah, Criterion is a little heavy. Like, well, that's what it is. But yeah. you go to it, and it requires a lot of thought. And sometimes you just want the beautiful trash, as Jordan would say. Yeah. Well, and obviously there are really fun movies on Criterion. I, I, I always feel oh, like yeah. um, something I say a lot in, like, TV writers' rooms and things like that is, um, Por que no las dos? Or why not both? Yeah. Um, as in, like, why can't something be really great art and really fun at the same time? And I don't understand why you wouldn't aim for both all the time. Yes, that would be the goal, really. I would think so. Yeah, to um, bring everyone in and, yeah, maybe broaden their horizons and also yours. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I also think, as a child of the 90s, that the concept of no brow is something I'm very comfortable with in a way that mm-hmm. nowadays people really aspire to like kind of a, a middle brow that I what what I like a, I feel like no brow was the idea that you cut the middle out of the sandwich and it's all you mishmash high brow and, and low brow and, mm-hmm. and you get something that's like kind of gross and weird and fun and uh and different so anyway that's something me being you're gonna remember no yeah. no you're fine thank you um yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, oh, you know what? I, just because I have it written down here, not to jump back too far, I have one more film on Shudder yes. I would recommend. Go for um, it. And it, it, it is different than anything else. Uh, it's called Have a Nice Day. And it is an 80-minute or so Chinese crime cartoon. Ooh, okay. And uh, it's just, it's very slow-paced and weird. Not a lot happens. Um, but it's kind of beautiful and weird and sad. And uh, I liked it. Yeah. Well, that's something that most people would just fly right by. So I'm glad you pointed it out. (laughs) I, again, I don't understand exactly what their crime section is doing, but it does, they do tend to pick crime films that sort of fit the, the, have the same smell as a horror movie, if that makes any sense. Yes, they are startling. I was going through and seeing, yes, they want to get that visceral thing going and it really does. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I want to thank you so much for your recommendations and for talking today on Watch with Jen. I really enjoyed this. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we finally got to talk not on Twitter. I know. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take it easy. You too. Bye-bye. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends.